Hello, welcome to the nutrition and lifestyle blog of the LDN Research Trust. I'm Jill Brook, nutritionist, researcher, and autoimmune patient. Let's dive in. How mold exposure can cause chronic health problems for decades. I used to think that mold in a water-damaged home was harmless. Heck, it's practically a plant, right? Boy, was I wrong. Certain types of mold from water-damaged buildings can trigger chronic health problems, including chronic fatigue, neuropathy, respiratory problems, and much more. The saddest part is that symptoms can remain long after the exposure, even 50 years later. A fascinating article entitled Chronic Illness Associated with Mold and Mycotoxins is Nasosinus Fungal Biofilm, the Culprit, by Brewer, Thrasher, and Hooper in the journal Toxins from 2013, and it describes why this can happen. Even when we move away from the moldy building, the mold can come with us, hidden right under our noses. The paper shows evidence of how mold spores are able to implant in sinus tissue, create a biofilm that protects them from the body's immune system, then live happily ever after while releasing toxic byproducts into the body. Luckily, the paper mentions some treatment approaches that may help remove the mold and also improve other symptoms. The authors write that after treatment, quote, 90% of the patients had a dramatic decrease in their systemic symptoms, including neurological conditions of tremor, ataxia, and vertigo, among others, unquote. That's encouraging. If you suspect a past mold exposure is contributing to your symptoms, you might want to give this paper a read. Either way, think twice before living in a home with water damage. Festive and healthy holiday ideas. Happy December. I don't think we have to decide between a healthy holiday season and a festive one. Here are some ideas to make our holidays both. Seasonal soups. A quick online search offers countless recipes for unique delights, such as pecan soup, sumac roasted carrot apple soup, Thai pumpkin soup, and probably literally a million more. I think if we put as much time into making soups as we usually put into making holiday cookies, they could be the most memorable holiday food. For edible Christmas decorations, how about stringing cranberries and homemade popcorn? Just use a needle and thread, and the garland looks great on a tree or anywhere in the house. Just keep it out of reach of curious toddlers or pets. If you enjoy decorating a gingerbread house, but know it will result in too much candy and frosting getting eaten, how about a veggie lodge held together with cream cheese? A tutorial plus other holiday fun with veggies is provided on our online version of this blog at www.ldnresearchtrust.org. Instead of eggnog, how about golden milk? It's a warm, creamy, delicious anti-inflammatory drink made from ginger, turmeric, cinnamon, coconut milk, and sometimes other tasty things added such as almond milk or almond butter, honey, or other natural sweeteners. There are numerous recipes online. If you are exchanging holiday gifts, why not give and ask for things that will promote good health? There are edible gifts, such as tea, spices, or nuts still in their shells. There are growing kits for things like mushrooms, sprouts, or microgreens. 
There are kitchen gadgets to make healthy creations, such as spiralizers, food dehydrators, kale zippers, yogurt makers, and such. Then there is gear for exercise or relaxation, such as exerballs, yoga mats, or foam rollers. Finally, find more reasons to laugh. Silly games may be an underrated therapy, and there are numerous new online options that allow you to connect with others during lockdown. I recently spent $5 on a game called Quiplash, and it has already given me hours of laughs with friends across four generations and across the globe. So what else can we do to make our holidays more joyous and healthy? Please send any ideas my way to jill at dietforhealth.com and have a holiday filled with wellness and joy. Gut health is a priority during COVID and always. There's never a good time to abuse your gut with foods or habits that encourage dysbiosis, but this holiday season, we may want to be especially mindful. Two journal articles link COVID with gut health, and both suggest that now is a good time to pamper our guts. The first article describes a study where researchers looked at the gut microbes in two to three weekly fecal samples taken from patients during their hospital stays for COVID. It showed that gut microbes changed for the worse. Over time, fewer friendly microbes were found, whereas more unfriendly microbes appeared. The dysbiosis remained even after the SARS-CoV-2 virus was cleared from the system. Now, if you're like me, you may be asking, but couldn't terrible hospital food cause the dysbiosis? but there were control groups to rule that out. This suggests that getting COVID, especially being sick enough to be hospitalized, may leave people with dysbiosis. To me, it suggests that for anyone who had COVID, this is not the year to eat extra holiday candy, cookies, or booze. Remember, research suggests that we can eat a variety of whole plant foods to help the friendly microbes thrive again because they like plant fiber. We can also help starve the bad microbes by avoiding their favorite foods, sugar, and anything highly processed. The second article discussed pre-COVID gut health. It suggests that pre-existing gut health may help determine whether a patient's immune system has an appropriate response to COVID versus a response that is either too weak or too inflammatory. To err on either side is undesirable or dangerous. Once again, gut health may matter more than ever. So, with the holiday season coming, my next blog will share ideas to help make holidays both festive and health conscious. Inflammation, mutant black mold, and a very common ingredient. Check a few food labels in your pantry, and chances are you have several products containing citric acid. It's common in food, beverages, supplements, and even medications. I had always assumed it came from lemons or limes, and thought little of it, until I came across this article in the journal Toxicology Reports. Potential Role of the Common Food Additive Manufactured Citric Acid in Eliciting Significant Inflammatory Reactions Contributing to Serious Disease States, a series of four case reports. Normally, a series of only four case reports wouldn't change my life, but this one did, and here's why. They reported that 
Most people assume that citric acid is sourced naturally from lemons and limes, and although it can be, the more commonly used ingredient is technically, quote, manufactured citric acid, unquote, or MCA, made from a mutant strain of black mold known to be toxic. Ingredient labels will generally not tell you which type of citric acid is used. The vast majority of MCA production is in countries with poor track records for food safety. Fragments of the toxic black mold can get into the citric acid, and if we ingest fragments of this black mold, we'd expect some people to have significant immune, i.e. inflammatory, reactions. There was no safety testing of this ingredient by the FDA or anyone else because the manufactured citric acid was assumed to be identical to natural citric acid. Nobody considered testing for the toxic mold contamination. The authors report that when some of their patients removed all products containing citric acid from their diets, some chronic significant inflammatory reactions improved. When they added it back, their symptoms returned. The authors conclude that, quote, we believe that ingestion of the MCA, that's manufactured citric acid, may lead to a harmful inflammatory cascade which manifests differently in different individuals based on their gene genetic predisposition and susceptibility, and that the use of MCA as an additive in consumable products warrants further studies to document its safety, unquote. The good news is that we don't need to wait for safety trials to do our own personal experiments. If you try giving up MCA and feel much better, maybe that's all the safety testing you need. How to taste more sweetness with less sugar. Read this before your next ice cream cone. The temperature of your sweet food affects the strength of the taste. Sweet flavors taste sweeter when eaten hot and taste less sweet when cold. A classic example is that when people make homemade jam, the warm cooked fruit needs to taste super overly sweet so that when it cools off, it will taste just right. The sugar content is the same, it just tastes much more sweet when warm. How can you use this to eat healthier? You probably already guessed it. If you must have sweets, favor warmer ones. Ice cream needs extra sugar to taste as sweet as hot cocoa. An iced tea needs more sugar to taste as sweet as hot tea. Cold pie tastes less sweet than warm pie. One more reason to swear off frappuccinos. Use this to cut your sugar consumption without even sacrificing any flavor. Thyroids, chemicals, and cabbage. Have we been worrying about the wrong thing? The thyroid gland regulates many important bodily functions because it regulates metabolism. It can also be the target of autoimmune damage, such as in Hashimoto's thyroiditis and Graves' disease. It's an important body part, so that's why two recent studies caught my eye. The first discussed, quote-unquote, goitrogenic foods, which include cabbage, broccoli, turnip greens, Brussels sprouts, millet, kale, and a few other all-star superfoods. The concern has historically been that these foods may increase risk of thyroid problems, such as hypothyroidism or goiter. Some popular books warn against eating too much of these foods if you have an autoimmune thyroid disorder. 
A new review of evidence suggests that these foods are not harmful, but may reduce iodine uptake, and that iodine deficiency is the real concern. The authors suggest that people with thyroid concerns get adequate iodine and steam or boil these foods with iodized salt. The full study can be found on our website. Another recent study showed how thyroid autoimmunity can be caused by common environmental pollutants such as BPA, flame retardant chemicals, and formaldehyde. The gist is that chemicals can bind to proteins in the bloodstream, causing them to change into a new shape that the immune system may recognize as an antigen to attack. In some unlucky people, the molecular shape of the antigen is very similar to that of some thyroid tissue or thyroid hormone. So the antibodies created to attack one will also attack the other. It's a case of mistaken identity between two molecules that look too much alike. This article is also on our website. As someone with an autoimmune condition of the thyroid, I take these two studies to suggest I should be less concerned about cabbage and more concerned about chemicals. The first study cited is called, Is There Such a Thing as Anti-Nutrients? A Narrative Review of Perceived Problematic Plant Compounds, and that's in the journal Nutrients. The second is an article called Cross-Reactivity Between Chemical Antibodies Formed to Serum Proteins and Thyroid Axis Target Sites in the International Journal of Molecular Science. Both are on our website if you want to check them out. <music>